Hello everybody, this is Sean Ford again. I'm acting as guest host on Ink Studs today. I'm here with Gabby Schultz, aka Ken Dahl, author of the collection Welcome to the Dollhouse, published by Microcosm in 2007, I think, and the Ignatz award-winning book Monsters that came out from Secret Acres in 2009, and I think is um, just recently back in print in a very cool-looking new edition. And this month from Secret Acres, uh, the book Sick came out. Um, Sick is the story of Gabby, or a stand-in narrator, which uh, we'll get to, um, being laid down by an illness in his cramped Brooklyn apartment. The story begins as a sort of Kafka-esque exploration of the trials and tribulations of trying to attain health care without having a lot of money or health insurance in the uh, modern America, but it soon morphs into a brutally uh, frank self-assessment of not only the narrator's personal failures, but also the failures of I guess predominantly white Western culture and the systems and structures we're all beholden to and a part of. So I think there's a lot to talk about in this book, and I'm excited to talk to Gabby today. Um, hi, Gabby. Thanks for talking today. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and thanks for not being sarcastic at all. all <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm not. Sorry. I have. A, I. I should preface this entire interview with uh, everything I say sounds sarcastic because I have a irony disease. Um. That that protects me from actually having to express any genuine feelings or, or get caught up in actually seeming like I'm being honest about something. But I, I was honest just now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. 
Um, so <laughs> I, I think I, I saw. I, I know I saw you at Cake, and I, I think your book officially debuted um, back at TCAF. Um, how, how did those go, shows go? They went okay. Um, I mean, they were fun. Yeah, I, I, I guess um, how they go for like my expectations for the book, or just did I have fun? Um, both. <laughs> Yeah, how'd the book do? I, I had fun. <laughs> the book, I, I don't know because I don't want to know and I don't like ask the uh, secret acres for hard numbers, but it seemed to exceed my expectations, which is people bought a couple of them. Like, I mean, actually people bought a few of them, which seemed nice. I, I mean, I, I guess I was really assuming that this book would be just summarily dismissed by the entire world because nobody wants to read a depressing book anywhere, which is entirely understandable. Well, I, um, um, I, I I disagree, and I have some thoughts on on the depressing part, but um, I'll get to that in a second. But I, I I thought it was funny. I, I think Leon um, Avellino, one of the publishers of Secret Acres, made the point that uh, TCAF is essentially the birthplace or spawning place of sick or whatever sickness you contracted. Uh, oh yeah, right. I think you started as a webcomic back in the summer of 2011. Was that the same yeah. year that you got sick at TCAF, or did you like wait yeah. a year? I forget. Oh. I pretty much started drawing it immediately after I got well enough to draw, just because it, I, I, it was pretty revelatory, like being, I mean, it's, it's, you know, like people like Dave Roche or like uh, uh, Laura Park have come up to me and been like, I'm really excited to read your book, and like, these are people with real actual illnesses that required, you know, hospitalization and, and might have involved in early death and it's, it's haunting them for the rest of their lives. And I'm like whining and belly aching about <laughs> being, having the flu for 15 days. But it, I mean, it, it's hard to, like, I try to express in the book that it simultaneously is the most flippant non-issue ever, like as my entire life is, but also it, it was... It, I really, I really felt like I was gonna die, and and the, I guess, I guess that the main issue is if I just went to the hospital, everything would have been fine. But yeah. um, that's kind of the problem with you know, like America, and then you get on a huge slippery slope and you're laying in bed in extreme pain, shitting yourself to death. Like, gee, this doesn't really have to happen this way, and then, then you kind of take that track back through like how it got there, and 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 it really goes far back and like in your own life and in Western civilization in general, like it's, it's nothing that really puts things in perspective, like thinking your life might be over and that, you know, like maybe you should have done things differently or by extension, maybe we all should have done things a little differently. So to maximize, or at least, uh, be a little bit less fucked up <laughs> or, you know, maximize happiness, I guess, maximize the possibility for general contentment. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think it is something you know, regardless of of having to deal with a, a a really serious illness, which unfortunately you know some some people we know in comics have had to deal with, I, I think it's 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 that's a starting point. But um, where you go with it, I think is is something that a lot of people recognize, particularly a lot of artists not being able to afford proper healthcare or any healthcare. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. And and so yeah, as you mentioned, the uh, the book. It, it sort of jumps from you know self-flagellation of yourself and, and the and the medical uh, setup of the of the country to to acting as like a Jerem, Jeremiah I guess I'm I hope I'm pronouncing that yeah. somewhat right no yeah that's an appropriate word for this book yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, well as we sort of touched on it you you sort of touched on that you know some of your friends were excited to read it and I heard a lot Perfect. of people um, 
at Cake, at least, just saying, like, they were really excited to read it, um, and they were excited to see it. And the book itself has genera- generated quite a lot of positive response so far. I saw there's a, you know, there's a yeah. star review in Publishers Weekly, and Comics yeah. Journal was pretty positive about it. So are you surprised um, that people are sort of nodding along to these, like, <laughs> I mean, this really dark place that you went to, and people are like, yeah, man, totally. Are you, yeah, that- I, I, I mean, I guess I'm really disappointed because I thought... <laughs> I thought people would really despise it. I thought that I would, like, there were some parts of it where I was really, I was really not sure I should draw it because it's, you know, a little too grim or like a little too, like, I'm going to alienate every single person in the world, like, or at least every, every person who's, who's in the first world and buying comic books. But, uh, I, I don't know. I have, I have like two minds about that. One is, you know, extreme, like, thankfulness that people don't hate it. But also, I, I kind of feel like if a book like this isn't, being hated it's kind of it didn't do it didn't do its job like it didn't it's not good enough like you really need to be fucking like just like no one i feel like these days the worst review you can get is it's good and then you know that's it no one cares about reading a a decent review you know like people want the thing that makes clickbait is like you can't i can't believe this shit you have to look at how fucked up this is this motherfucker has the fucking gall to say and like and Next thing you know, it's like your Vice magazine because like everybody comes running to look at it. Yeah, and it, like oh, clearly that principle was at work throughout the 20th century when all these like like what seemed like really tame books and movies got just banned literally or like burned publicly, and or like t- you know people got taken up on uh, obscenity charges or like crimes against the state or something for being you know for just writing. Gee, Catholicism's kind of fucked up or like you know. Maybe the Cold War is kind of dumb. No, I mean, um, it almost seems like we're at the point where I think that whoever is in power or whatever, if, not that there's some vast conspiracy, but I think people just, at least in America, people just basically was like, realized that you could just give people the platform of Twitter and they could say whatever the hell they want and it really doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Say whatever you want, please. Go ahead. You know, you still owe yeah. four thousand dollars for your flu shot. Right. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter ultimately. That's the feeling I got from using Twitter and, and the internet, or just saying, "Damn, drawing a comic book." Is it? It's we're past the point. Or going to protests. I mean, going to Black Lives Matter protests. Like the the message I, I feel like I ended up getting from that was Black Lives don't it don't fucking matter to America. Like that's the the always been the message. Like you can yell all you want, but at the end of the day, we have way too many prisons and cops for opinions about freedom to matter like that our participation is no longer required in democracy and that's i think that's that that's our empire has reached the point of uh, just, uh, i'm a global omnipotence or that it's it's really just not democracy is no longer a, a an illusion that requires propping up by various liberal arts well and that you know, I mean, this is a little pretentious. I don't think it matters in that context at all. But, I mean, in general, like, things, saying things in protest, I think, is is totally allowable because people realize that it, it, it's not relevant to the structure of power. Well, um, I, on my on my darkest days, I definitely agree with that. But um, I think I think it is important to for, for someone like you to make a book like this and for, you know, the, the people who are good at Twitter to uh, voice their... <laughs> Their discontent, their discontentment, or, or dissent. Um, yeah, I, I do too. But you know, well, I mean, well, you were just talking. It sort of made me think. Like, 
I mean, this I don't want to go totally off the rails, so we'll try and keep this sort of brief. Yes. Uh, yeah, me but like, I, I was, I wasn't 100% on board with Bernie, and I, I never thought he could actually win, but I was pleasantly surprised that he got as much, Bernie Sanders meaning, uh, right. he got <laughs> as, as much traction and as, as many votes as he did. Um, I, I thought he was going to be blown out of the water by like March. And the fact that he, you know, made it to the, the very end of the process and they, you know, they, he did so well that they had to, you know, give him a say in how the Democratic National Convention is, is going to be, you know, set up. And he got to name, I think, something like five of the 12 super speakers or whatever they are. Um, so mm. I think, you know, that gives me a glimmer of hope. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, and reading a book like yours, uh, it reminds me of like the David Foster Wallace line that I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have it in front of me, that, you know, reading fiction is this, is this, is one of the few instances where you can, you can read something and someone else is think is, is thinking and you're like, I've had that thought and it's a very specific thought and that means I'm not alone in the world. And that's, I think that is like a powerful and valuable thing and, and you know, maybe the very, very tiniest seedling of any kind of political movement and it may be doomed in the end but like it is valuable i think for people to even just get through the day or work week or whatever you know i guess yeah i mean that's a, that's a lot that's a lot of uh a lot of directions Sorry, i guess we can go for <laughs> so talk about bernie <laughs> I, and hope <laughs> yeah bernie and david foster wallace and yeah uh, sorry uh, I, I i i mean i i can't i'm not gonna talk about bernie because i have opinions about that that are you know I, don't, I think we'll alien, literally alienate every single person who will ever <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> um, but I, with a fiction quote, though, I mean, that's that's written by a fiction author, so I mean, it, it behooves him to think that. But I, I mean, I think that there's also, I mean, that's probably true. I've felt that way about reading comics and about reading other stuff. But it's there's also this element of, um, like, we make our own identities through what people are telling us. And I think that what David Foster Wallace isn't recognizing, if I can be so bold, is that uh, there's the I think when we read something that we want to believe is us, we're very inclined to believe it, it is us, and that these people have somehow touched us in a private way about things that we've already thought. When I, I think more often than not, what's really happening is someone who is who is more articulate and feels things deeper than we could ever possibly do on our own is feeding us an identity that we desperately wish we had, and that we mistake for an identity that we've already had because that's how human brains work. (laughs) That's how, and it's very, it's very depressing to think about that, that, you know, we, we are very high and um, I I think that, that there's something very ignoble about our real essence as, as humans, as people who are burdened with the, the torture of consciousness and trying to make some sense in a world that just refuses to make sense. And, we're we're really receptible, especially these days, to to letting our our identities be made for us. I mean, that's happens. I feel like anyone under thirty has basically never known a world in which that wasn't. The people weren't working very very hard and constantly since they were born to tell them who they are. And like we don't have the benefit of inventing ourselves anymore. And I think that's that whole idea of a, of an of a person uh, like an individual that creates their own personality through a force of will or effort is is an enlightenment project sort of 
fantasy that it really is, didn't hold true for most of human history. And I think it hasn't hold true, held true for the last three, four hundred years, other than in this sort of us convincing ourselves it's so world. And I mean, the, the individual is a fucking nightmare. Like, that concept has been responsible for more suffering in the world than most things in recent history. <laughs> because... And it's ultimately it's useless. Like I mean, what? Like ever since the '60s, where there's been like all these like beatnik-inspired sort of rebel, like this rebel stance that we're like all compulsory. Uh, like we have to take this as as teenagers because it's what's cool. We think that we're the first people that ever did it, and we we need to get out there and be, you know, hella individual and say no to authority, and like which is great, but also it's all a lie. It's bullshit. Like it's just it's just something that. Is we're 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 being sold that you know like I mean this is also sorry I'm kind of going off on a tangent now <laughs> no it's okay but no, I, 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 there, there's a lot of different stuff to respond to there and um, I, yeah I don't well I I think I think <laughs> though that people like people the respond very much on especially in the, our internet culture to this idea of someone who is of uh, are you getting a weird echo. No, I'm just, you're kind of cutting out a little, like, Skype style, but oh, okay. you're, I'm still doing okay. Okay, sorry. Okay. Uh, well, I, th I think, you know, I, I think there is something very particular to uh, the generation that's grown up completely online. Um, and, and the, yeah, I, I don't, I never know how to wrap my head around it, but I think there is something very, very particular to their experience of being able to access everything at once and, and not really having to, like, Dig and, and people think that they're able to create their identity much quicker, maybe uh, than before the internet made that made it so easy to to gather. Oh yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Like I'm old enough to really notice that that change. You know, like it's it's yeah. severe, and it's not all bad, but it's fucking nightmarish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you know, you can't blame the people who do it because that's all they've ever known. But it, it is. I mean. Even myself, I like the first time I signed on to AOL, I was like 14, and I didn't really have internet in, t in my house until I was 17. So I feel like a lot of my, I, f I felt behind a lot because when I got to college, like there were kids who had had like you know the fastest internet you could have back then, whatever it was, you know, for five years before they went to college, and and uh, and I was just like you know a little bumpkin who you know like the Smashing Pumpkins and was really excited about the Velvet Underground and like they were like whatever dude like you gotta get into this psych rock from Finland from 1972 right. you can download it from whatever and I was like you can download music from the internet? <laughs> um, yeah that, that part is pretty awesome yeah it's but, a, yeah but, and, and but I think, I it's, like, I think it's like people like like Prince get like put up on a pedestal because he does sort of like and I, I'm taking nothing away from Prince because I think he's like amazing but um, I think he he does sort of fulfill that fantasy of this complete individual who like just came fully formed into the ether and and like you know stood against everything and wasn't a part of any systems, you know. Yeah, yeah, but he's also forced into that role, and also he's probably a complete asshole in real life. You know, I mean, I don't know if we can base a society on princes. Like there can only be one prince, you know. Like, right. <laughs> like you can't have any. Like, you can't really hang out with prince. Like you can't. I would not want to like live in a communal house with prince. Um, no. and, and so he's, but he's found a way to like monetize that brand, and because he's like good at writing pop songs, 
but I mean, that's really, this is being a, a good craftsman, I guess. I mean, if he was, if he didn't make people dance, um, he would just be a jerk, you know, like he would, like, I mean, Kanye is kind of the same way. I feel like that's sort of like a, I mean, but they do it because it makes headlines. You know, they don't, they're not, they kind of probably play it up because it's, it works within the, the like capitalism in like selling shit and like, oh my God, you wouldn't believe like what I just saw on MTV or like, I don't know, like some dumb shit like that where it's like, you just gotta be clickbait. Yeah. But I don't know, I don't know if that's like, like, I mean, every time I read a biography about a celebrity that's supposed, you know, like a, someone who was like a visionary who like really like did this amazing whatever they did, like writing or music, they always, their actual life is it's just a fucking shit show. Like they're such jerks and they fucked over so many people and most of it was just to be famous. Like they, they're, the thing, thing they all have in common isn't like, I mean, genius is not a, really a word that means anything, like especially these days. But no, really, I mean... Yeah. What they had was ambition. Like they were just like, I will get famous, and I will do anything to get there. Yeah. And if it means getting really good at writing pop songs, or really good, or you know, playing up to the Nobel committee, or like, it, all I'm going to do, I'm going to figure that out, and I'm going to do that at the expense of my personal life. Like I feel like you can, you can have good art or a good life, especially in capitalism. But there's no, you can't combine those two things. Uh, like I found that out with monsters, especially like, oh my god. Like, some people, like, you can't write a book about real life and not have people hate your fucking guts. Like, that's forever. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to get to that later, but some, before we get too far, I, so I, I sort of, what you're saying is about sort of, like, the absurdity of, of trying to be famous or, or trying to be successful in this capitalist society, I mean, that really comes through in your book, and while reading it, I couldn't help but think, I mean, this, I mean, I apologize to everyone who might be listening to this. You can all just sign off now. It's going to get really, really <laughs> fucking pretentious. So I've already logged Albert on. Camus, uh, the myth of Sisyphus, but, but I couldn't help but think of, have you read that? The myth of yeah, Sisyphus? Yeah. yeah. So like he argues that the world is absurd and that, that absurd world basically requires like constant revolt and constant confrontation. Um, which, you know, I, I, I felt like your book was getting into, and um, I think there's a quote that's like, if the world were clear, art wouldn't exist. Um, and, you know, Sisyphus is this absurd hero who's been condemned to um, perpetually roll a rock or a giant stone up, up a mountain, and then when he gets yeah. to the top, the rock rolls back down, and he's, you know, walks back down and starts rolling it up again. And, like, I was... Yeah. I, I one must help, imagine Sisyphus had. Sorry? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I don't know this, this story, yeah. Sorry, yeah, no, go on. Well, well, just, just like, reading that, I, you know, reading your book, I, I couldn't help but think of of you describing culture in that way, or existence in that way, maybe. But I also, I couldn't help but thinking, like, oh, yeah, that's, like, that's basically the career of a cartoonist. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. pushing pushing the, the this rock up a hill, you know, you finish your graphic novel, and then it rolls back down, and you just have to do it all over again. Um but, like, I mean, Camus is, and I, I don't know if I, I agree, and I'm curious to see what you think. He sort of finds, like, um, he acknowledges that that's, like, a futile task, and there's, you know, there's really no point to it. And he's sort of freed to realize that it's an absurd task, and it's an absurd fate. But he because of that, like, realization, he's sort of able to get to a state of, like, contented acceptance, maybe, 
and not you know not necessarily hope because i think he says that once works acknowledge hope they're no longer absurd so he even says like people like dostoevsky and kafka um are not true absurd writers because there's hope in their work um which i would definitely acknowledge in dostoevsky uh, but i'm not i don't i not 100 percent sure i always find in kafka but so yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I don't, and I, I don't, similarly, I don't think, um, at the end of sick, I don't necessarily know if you can say that there's hope. Um, but I, I'm well, curious, I, is there contingent yeah. acceptance at the end or <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I think, I mean, I get the feeling that, I mean, I think, I don't think Camus and, and Dostoevsky are ex- exempt from that, from what I, you know, like that ambition, like they, I think. It's really important to like, like really. If you're if you're saying that like artist careers are kind of like you know Sisyphean, that you should really look at like that particular metaphor is like why the fuck are we rolling the rock? Like there's no nobody stopping us from stopping like just letting the rock roll down and being like what are we doing? And because that the the metaphor only goes as far as like how do we survive as. as artists, I mean, and that is a really easy question to answer. Like, you make people want to give you money, yeah. and there's a lot of people find a lot of different ways to answer that. But like, the fact that so few people are willing to just point out that just basic and like undeniable fact is really scary to me as an artist because I grew up. I think my ideas about it are obsolete, but I kind of feel like that's the artist's job, and like. Uh, to maybe draw the lens back far enough to see life close to how it really is and not just in this sort of postmodern, like, I choose reality. Like, we, reality can be anything I want it to be. Therefore, I love capitalism. Like, I just read a book, which I don't want to name because I love the art last night that just came out that really had that, that idea in spades of just, um, like, it was cartoons about food, food and... Uh, I don't know, like, just being as rich and white, and they're, I feel like they're kind of just, they're happy about it, and that's great for them, but it turns out that's only for the Western world, and that's scary as shit to me, like, that, I mean, it's great to be rich and white, and not, and like that, and go out and eat luxury foods, but god damn, like, is that it? Is, like, it's like is really is that the audience that we're drawing for is that all the audience that exists anymore because like if that's the case i don't like i i don't know like that's uh, maybe well, that's a selfish for me no because yeah. that's the stuff i don't want to read but that who the fuck cares what i think no well i mean i think because the world i think at this point i feel sorry oh go ahead well i i i was gonna say i think what the response to six shows is that there are definitely people who are more in your um, on your side of the argument on some of this stuff, and and what I, oh. I don't know how they feel about some of the other books you're talking about, but and I'm not I, I have my guesses, but I'm not gonna speculate online. Um, but uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I I was gonna get into the next. There, I think there is sort of a culture of acknowledging this feeling of of sort of hopelessness and, and awareness of it. Um, do you know the writer, uh, Frank Buras? Um, 
He just he oh. just he just had a book that came out from Melville House about like penis thieves that I just ordered that I haven't started reading. And it's just about like all this weird shit. I think I, I'm I'm excited to read it. But he wrote this essay like back in like January or February of this year called Dispatches from the Ruins, where he talks about you know slowly becoming aware of this larger system of which we're all a part and he's a part and being completely powerless to change it in any way. Um, yeah, right. if you don't, I have, a, I have a, a short quote from it, which I thought was really good, if you don't mind. Um, it's, uh, uh, humans have always been an organized species. We have always functioned as a group, as something larger than ourselves. But in the recent past, the scale of that organization has grown so much, the pace of that growth is, growth is so fast, the connective tissue between us so dense that there has been a shift of some kind. Namely, we have become so powerful that some scientists argue that we have entered a new era, the Anthropocene, I might have pronounced that wrong, uh, I'm sure I did, uh, in which humans are, are now a ge- geological force. The feeling that panic that right. comes from those moments when this fact is unavoidable, it comes from being unable to not see what we've become, a planet-changing superorganism. It is from the realization that I am part of it. Um, and, and in another part of the essay, he mentions being aware of a constant hum. And I think it, there's a point in Sick where you... You mentioned the same. You mentioned the same hum, like a low. And I, I think in my, in my, I know in my comic, I have a, a phrase that's something like, "There's a near constant low level hum," and so yeah, I think like we're all aware of this hum. Like, do you, what do you like? Do you, what do you think that hum is? Are you aware of it? Like, do you? Feel <laughs> I, like I don't know. Like, I feel. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I guess just my. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with everything in that quote, and, and I think, but I think the interesting thing is that moment of panic is immediately followed by uh, uh, a blanketing over a cognitive dissonance, because for most people, that realization is, is just too much. And it, I think for most people, they're, they're either in two boats. Either they're, they're so, their life is so fucked up that it's either ignore that every single day or kill yourself. Or their life is just so disproportionately comfortable that they're just too, they're not, because that they're responsible for it. And the real, and the guilt that comes with realizing they are directly, immediately responsible for how fucked up the world is. Whether it's like, I mean, and again, I'm going to alienate every single person who yeah, might ever listen to we, this. If, but if, I, like, if you want me to stop you at any point, we should make like a safe word. <laughs> <laughs> just flash a dollar sign on... Um, uh, Our safe word is nicely. Just kidding. <laughs> um, I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think people underestimate uh, our our capacity for deluding ourselves, and I, and I think once that's the whole basis of postmodern existence is um, we're in this constant freefall of of realization of how fucked up shit is, but also we have total access, which you know, to put bluntly, it's like supplied by capitalist structures uh, to to just ignore that. Here is a distraction. Here is a way to create your identity in a new fat, like reform the same thoughts in entirely different ways that flatter yourself. And that is constant and ever present and ever growing. And I like it. That is the most powerful force in our world. And the essential thing is to resist that. But what do you, you don't get a reward for resisting it. You get shit in hell. And like, there's, there's nothing waiting for you outside that, which is why I feel like most people have chosen not to take that path because there's no there's no reward for it except pain. Yeah. Well, but, so I mean that that does lead into a question yeah. I have. So, um, <clears throat> thank God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm trying. I'm. Tr- um, I appreciate it. No. Uh, okay. So, 
there is there is like a ton of work in pop culture though like in in like the you know schmaltziest to like you know middle brow to even like highbrow pop culture that deals with like this concept of nihilism and an impending apocalypse and a sort of awareness of these systems you're talking about slowly you know destroying people at the bottom of the food chain um, or yeah. whatever power structure chain, whatever you want to call it, and not, and destroying the environment. You know, we have like the Hunger Games. There's a new Mad Max movie. There's Kermit McCarthy's right. The Road. There's like oh my god, so get me started. <laughs> well, there's that the that Snowpiercer movie, which I think is like one of the most possible, like literal possible interpretations of capitalism you could make. Um, but it, you know, and parts of it yeah. are good and entertaining. But a lot of those sure. to me act as like these fairy tales. Like they're sort of like these. Um, these stories about the apocalypse, but luckily our hero is smart enough to figure it out, and he's gonna like go off and live with his dog and this young, right. this young child he saves, or like you know the hero in Hunger Games is a woman, which is cool, but she, you know she takes down the empire with her bow and arrow, and everything's cool. Um, yeah. Sick really interested me, and you sort of got in. You sort of mentioned you know that David Foster Wallace at least was talking about fiction. Um, he, he wrote nonfiction and fiction, but, you know, he was, he was definitely yeah, right, talking right. about fiction when the quote you responded to. So uh, Sick interested me because it doesn't kind of deal with a fictional artifice, um, as seemingly at least. I want to ask you about that. And it's, you're yeah. sort of just directly addressing the readers and w- through a narrator who may, may or may not be you. And um, I sent you, uh, there's a Brett Easton Ellis podcast, which I think I, I looked it up and it's now offline. Whoa. That the oh episode, shit! Yeah, yeah. The episode I didn't get I sent you. Now it's it's offline, so I couldn't listen to it again anyway. But he was talking to the writer um, David Shields, who wrote a book called Reality Hunger, and which talks about, <clears throat> and they talk about this idea that the novel and sort of this fictional story is is maybe like this nineteenth century mode of communicating ideas, mm-hmm. um, and there's, and that I think that's definitely become the predominant form of storytelling in, in like western culture and like and like you know certainly like the last 50 years or whatever um and you know there is a writing that blends memoir and history that they're really in favor of um that's i think i would argue has like always been around um but and i think you're doing something like that um but i i think it did go out of fashion in some ways but um i i don't know i just wonder when you're thinking of these ideas is there a moment when you're like i'm going to tell it as a fiction story or I'm going to tell it as this, you know, memoir type story. It's going to be a blend of uh-huh. both. Uh, like how do you approach that or what do you, I, I, I guess I was just, I was being really trying to be as immediate and artless as possible when I drew this book as opposed to maybe my, my last book, but like, or as opposed to anyone who knows what the fuck they're doing. But I, I really think I, I, that the beauty of fiction is that you, I mean, you can be as autobiographical as you want, but you're free to change that course anytime you want to, in the service of the story. And I think that's why most people do it. That's why, you know, I, I mean, really most, most modernist fiction is just, they're just talking about their lives. Like you can tell sometimes even, I mean, like with Hemingway writing The Sun Also Rises, that's clearly about his fucking life. And, uh, you know, he still pissed people off, but not as much as if he was like, this actually happened. Here's the real names, uh, real places, real dates. Uh, I, that, I mean, that's just dumb. I don't know why anyone would do that because first of all, life is really kind of boring. There's a lot of stuff to filter out. A lot of stuff that, a lot of stuff that like is too fantastical to ever be believed in this story, you know, the, about reality, which is, I guess kind of the, 
the cool thing about writing fiction is that you have to basically tone it down a little bit in order to make shit seem as fucked yeah. up and weird as it is in real life. Oh yeah, Matt, if some what if somebody wrote a novel about Donald Trump, people would be like, "That is the biggest pile of bullshit I've ever heard." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that character needs some work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, but, I mean, but that, more he is fiction though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's just like blunt force trauma for clickbait. Like that's that's always been his brand. That's I mean, he's just lucky to have lived long enough to see an age where that brand is is really all that's you know that works anymore or that is very effective rather than just being. I don't know. It always worked. Whatever. Yeah. He has a completely fictional brand. Brand is like this, you know, wildly successful billionaire businessman who, in reality, like he is probably nowhere near a billionaire. Um, and no, not he's remotely gone bankrupt. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but then he did with George Bush, and he did fine. Yeah. But uh, I mean, it helps to have your dad as the president. But like, I I think fiction. If I ever wrote something, I don't. Well, fuck. I don't know. I like the idea of of just being. I I kind of hate the premeditation of of people writing fiction to tell truths about their own lives. And I think that's the only frontier left. Like we can't. Like we we all realize now that like there's not going to be any truth. Like there's not going to be a philosopher that has like has figured out the truth. And I, I mean, we're just playing language games with ourselves, but if we're the only thing that we can really have to, to like really say, this is, this is real is to talk about ourselves. And that's why fucking memoir is so huge yeah. and to explore ourselves. And that is fractured too, whatever, blah. But like, at least you can lay claim to it. You know, there's not going to be somebody else popping up and saying, actually, the way that you wrote Irish people is totally fucked up. Like, I'm an Irish person, and this I can tell you for a fact this is not how it is to be Irish. You can just be like, no, this is me, and fuck you. I can say whatever I want. And yeah. and then, But then that depends on people like praying that there's someone else out there that's like, uh, that likes that. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it, it weird to think about it like that. Because, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm sort of nearing the end of one book, and are, there's a there are a few ideas I want to do that are sort of like I guess you would call them like research or nonfiction or or even historical fiction or even his, historical nonfiction or something. But like and I'm like you know I have to ask that question: I, Am I allowed to tell this story? Like what right do I yeah. have to tell the story? Which you know I think is a valid question, especially since I'm a white dude. I mean I right. I mean. Yeah, it'd be nice not to a good decade to be a straight white male in the first world for yeah. and an artist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had our run. Was we did. We had a good run. Thousands <laughs> well, of years, or, really. Or a terrible run. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I don't even know where I'm going with that anymore. But yeah, no. Well, so well, I guess that could jump off to a, a different question. So this this lament the lamentation of culture the Jeremiah it does have. It does have roots that go back to the beginning of the uh, the rise of the white male, <laughs> and even before <laughs> that. But uh, you know, the yeah. Book of Jeremiah yeah. in the Old Testament is where the Jer the Jeremiah comes from, and I think the Book of Lamentations is the same kind of thing. Um, oh, and the Song of Solomon too. I yeah. mean, sorry, not the Song of Solomon. The uh, oh my God, I can't remember the book of. It's, it's the what was the the one where he's just complaining about how awful life is. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's right. It's written by Solomon, I think. Oh, you're not. Anyway, about okay. Well, and I, I was also listening to this podcast about. Um, uh, there's this modern philosopher who was writing wrote this book called "In the Dust of In the Dust of This Planet," which is kind of. Have you heard of that one? Uh uh It's kind. It's kind of you know about um, 
this fascination with the end of the world and um and all you know he he looks at it through horror movies in particular which I don't I don't know if that's too relevant to what we're talking about but in the podcast they talk about there's a story of Alexandria in the fourth century Alexandria in Egypt where Alexandria was essentially like the Manhattan of its time um like the bed of culture and and research and scholarly work and all this I mean it's debatable whether Manhattan is that anymore but uh, anyway, um, so but the, at, at that point in time in the fourth century, a lot of the reg- residents there, or a fair amount of them, rejected the overpopulation and the culture that they thought that just sort of got out of hand, and they left yeah. because of like crime and pollution and what they thought was corruption and everything. And they right. and this sort of echoes a moment in your book to me. They go out in the desert um, to be closer to God. Not the God part, but they begin sort of hurting themselves yeah. and like lacerating themselves and hurling themselves into the river with the idea that they'd sort of shed their body and and get like a soul to soul interaction with God. And I think like these people were essentially called like mysticists, mysticists back then. Uh-huh. Um, but I felt like, you know, there's a scene in, in Sick where I think you actually redrew it a lot from the webcomic where you wander out into the yeah. desert. Um, and that was like, and like sort of an oh shit moment in the webcomic when I read it. Uh, Cause I think in, in the webcomic you actually like self emoliate, you just like light yourself on fire. But in the, yeah. in the book version, I think you just, you sort of find the ashes of your, maybe your former yeah. self having done that or something. Um, that, that was actually part of it. That, that part I wasn't sure was working. I don't know yeah. that. I felt like it was a little overboard. That I felt like deep. at some point it, yeah, I, I was, huh? That went pretty, that got pretty dark. Yeah. Yeah, well, and also, but narcissistic, you know, like, I can't, I can't only, I can only go up my own ass so many times before it's just like, (laughs) I lose contact with the people that I'm writing the book for. No, I I think, Um, but that also was partially an actual dream that I had, and the, the, I actually, you know, at some point, whatever, I don't know, it doesn't matter, but I, (laughs) I mean, I, I think that's the problem with, with critiquing society or civilization is that there's no way back. I mean, we're stuck. I mean, there, people yeah. like to believe that, you know, being sustainable or like having fucking a goat in your backyard is all it takes. But I, I really, I, at this point, I don't think, I mean, humans did fine for tens of thousands, of hundreds of thousands of years before civilization and managed to fuck everything up entirely almost immediately afterwards. And I mean, every civilization has its own, I mean, it's all based on war and slavery. That's, I mean, you can't have civilization without slavery. We still have it today. It's the only reason we fucking exist. Well, and when people make that realization, then it, you know, like, what do they do? That's kind of the situation we've always been in. And like, right. you look at every literature since literature was a thing, it, it's it's all about that. It's just like the, this, like, well, fuck, we fucked up. We we're in this situation that we can't get out of, but it's kind of nice because we're usually from an educated class that's able to enjoy all of the splendor of the rewards of that. Um, unless you're reading like you know Frederick Jameson or something. I have not read him. Um, Wait, I don't. No, Frederick Douglass. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, okay. I don't even know who the fuck I'm talking about. Frederick, are you are you drinking? <laughs> <laughs> Just tea. Good old Green Frederick Jameson. Um, <laughs> well, Sorry. so I I have two ways I want to go from that question, but I think I'm going to go back to your book. Um, so you you <coughs> did you did redraw a lot of sick for um, for publication oh, yeah. as a book. I, re- I think you wound up redrawing the whole thing. Because I remember the yeah, like the, the web version didn't the web version have like more computery colors and the book version is like completely watercolored. And yeah, it's beautiful. It's, it looks great. Um, but yeah, you completely redid it, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I lightboxed the first few pages and then just ended up redrawing the whole thing, which is, I'll never do again. That was so dumb. I mean, I even like the colors on the original one now. I don't know what I was thinking. I I guess I was probably just greed. I was like, I can sell the original art now and make maybe I can pay rent for a few months. Well, you <laughs> should try and sell the original art. It, it, it does look really great. I mean, I did, I love the original too. And it took me a while to realize like, wait, this is, because I think you no longer like have the originals up online anywhere or anything, right? I'm sorry, the original like, web the, series. Like, oh, just the first, the first few pages of it are. Oh, okay. Which were like that long. No, that yeah, that was what I almost like uh, put me put my website under because um, Laughing Squid, my hosting service, for some reason doesn't have a cap for whether they're just like, all right, you use too much bandwidth, you're cut off. I, I was so dumb. I put like all like just tons of pictures on one page, so every time someone clicks it, it's like immense amounts of bandwidth and tons of people started reading this thing and so all of a sudden I'm like 10,000% over my maximum bandwidth and they're like we're going to charge you for every bite of that and there had there was this huge argument I had between them to uh, to not have that happen yeah but it was, I, it was no la- that you got you got mad squid instead of laughing squid yeah angry <laughs> yeah, squid there was no so I, I'm kind of shy about putting the rest of it on there even though the only it's like Scott McCloud liked it at some point, but it seemed like he only liked it because of the infinite canvas part of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I took away the one thing Scott McCloud liked about the book. Well, um, but I mean, well, that does get in. So that guy I was talking about who wrote in the dust of this planet, um, he sort of had a, like the same sort of response to this idea that he thought was going to be like wildly unpopular, and he even like joke with his wife he was writing a book for no one and she was like ha 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 um like uh but like you know there is this response out there there people i identify with it even they were were, when they talked about the alexandria story they were saying that they they were teaching that to their undergraduate college class and usually you know they get like blank stares and people checking their phone and all that but they like you know like they realized at the end of this lecture that like everyone was riveted like that that idea of leaving like just like checking out of culture was just like that resonated um and yeah. i like the, in the dust of this planet book like went crazy to the point where like some dutch dude did a painting of the book cover and like famous fashion models started wearing it on t-shirts and then <laughs> oh great and then like great. yeah no and, and literally <laughs> literally jay-z like was wearing it in like some video where, where he was promoting a world tour with beyonce so it became nice. it became like yeah, it's like, I don't know, this total snaking its own tail thing where I think some people do, like, deeply, directly respond to, like, this kind of talk. Like, it, it resonates. But there's also this part to it where it's it's almost like, it's almost hip. It's it's just hip to be like, yeah, the planet's ending and, I, you know, I'm, I'm brave right. enough to be able to, like, say it out loud or, like, you know, embrace it. And so it's, it's, there's this weird... But I think there is some sense, there is like a lot of people I talk to at least, like there's this sincere realization that, um, you know, it's true. I, there, someone else was telling me recently that uh, like the, the whatever body talk, like organizes the science for global warming, they, they recently changed their language in the last couple of years where they had been talking about prevention. But now they're just like if we if we reduce carbon emissions, blah blah blah, we can prevent yeah. global warming. But now it's they've mute, they've changed their language to actually be like talking about like adaptability. Like, well, sure, <laughs> we're yeah. clearly not going to stop 
you know, burning coal. So here <laughs> are how we can build water floating houses. Like, yeah, or go to Mars. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's back in the news, too, like, a lot. Yeah. I just saw, oh, yeah. I, there was an article today that was like, how would we divide up Mars? Like, how would our planet divide up Mars? It's like, the, the, <laughs> so ridiculous. the biggest nightmare in the Like, I can't believe... Like, that's the solution. Like, Stephen Hawking <laughs> talks about that. Like, oh, yeah, we fucked up this planet. Oh, I know. Let's fuck up another planet. Like, and like, really, you really think that, like, humans are that above, like, we're that disconnected from the planet that made us that we're, like, you can go to this barren rock that is, like, <laughs> like, yeah. like, what, two Kelvin uh, uh, or some insanely cold temperature. And, like, I mean, not even talking about re repeating the same mistakes, but, like, you can't just like you can't just get Matt Damon to grow potatoes in his own shit, and that's how you have a whole another society. Like I'm sorry, but, but that's got, not gonna work. He got and so lean, man. He looked great. He looked good. No, no, yeah, I know. Shit. It's like the diet. <laughs> um, but you, well, uh, that, yeah. oh my god. That, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Do you want to rag on the Martian for I, a while? No, I, well, I kind of just want to rag on every apocalyptic scenario because I, I feel like all those things you mentioned earlier, like the road and, and Hunger Games, and uh, I didn't see Snowpiercer, but I'm guessing it's the same. If you're if they're making it to a mass market, you can't possibly do that and have your message be purely uh, "shit's totally fucked." Good evening. That's it. No, yeah, you have. It's always glossed over with with like, but there's hope. Like right. even at the end of like the. Um, Sorry, uh, the, there's. I feel like you gotta appeal to a mass audience by by, like like Derek Jensen ending with like, but if we just try hard enough, everything will be fine. And even in the road, which is the most depressing book I ever I've ever read, yeah, that, because it has to be because nuclear like global nuclear holocaust is just that there's the planet would not recover. That you're. You've got that guy that comes in at the end. That's like the real man that somehow is like you know like isn't gonna get lymphoma and he's gonna take care of the kid and then everything will be fine. Like that was just him. That was him being like, oh shit, I forgot to sell this to Hollywood. Yeah. Okay, but there's a little guy. There's my little archetype man, and he's everything will be fine. Right. That and I mean like, and I think there's, you know, I mean yeah, I think I think when it becomes a mass pop culture thing, there's this. You, you know, you have to turn into this fairy tale where, like, against all odds. Yeah. You know, uh, but and I, I, I want to give Cormac McCarthy for being credit a little bit for being a little, a little above that. But I, I think he probably. I mean, it seemed like he was yeah. writing a book about his own. I don't know if he has kids, but that seemed like he was writing a book about his own son and worrying about the world he was leaving behind for him. Um, sure. And I think probably to just like be able to wake up the next day, he had to like have somewhat of a happy ending or, or something. Oh. I don't know. Like. If you truly believe that's where we're headed, why are you writing a book? You're like, yeah. I, I struggle with that a lot lately. Like, who, like, if there's not going to be a fucking, like, when the sea levels rise to the point where there's no civilization, who the fuck cares whether you wrote a comic book? Like, that is not something I should be spending my life doing. I should be spending my life, I don't know what, like, well, either indulging in complete hedonism or preparing for some kind of long-term survival. But I, either way sounds pretty fucking grim. Yeah, well, that's why Chester Brown has become a li libertarian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the solution. I, I want to say he. I met him at TK or sorry, Cake, and he's he's like one of the nicest and most genuine cartoonists um, and I've ever met. He's awesome. Yeah, so I don't sure. want to like act, yeah. act like I'm slamming Chester Brown. Um, I think he's great. But uh, and also like, I mean, I think that gets back to sort of the Sisyphus thing. Like, yeah, oh, it, it's absurd. Like, 
that, but I mean, you know, there's a great community. I mean, my, my faulty logic is that, you know, my favorite community of people I've ever met is, are comics people. And, you know, if I, if I make crappy comics, they'll at least be nice to me at parties. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I can indulge in my, in my sort of no, you... nerd hedonism at least. And you should be a publisher if that's what you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, some I feel like that's how that that's how a publisher is born when they're like, <laughs> it's like the Ren and Stimpy. Right. Well, where Stimpy is making now the cartoon. You're burning bridges. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sorry. I think publishing is great. I think it's wonderful. I thank you, Secret Acres. <laughs> they're, they're really. I would be nothing without them. The, I mean, hope, but that's the thing, right? It's like it, our it's only like, hope is that people turn this off when we you start talking about Hemingway. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm just saying that I'm just being true. I'm saying the realness, man. Yeah. I don't want wanna yeah. I, that's the the price of like trying to like. I mean, there's plenty of people that are talking about how fucked up the comics or the literary industry is, but or the art, the gallery system, art industry, or whatever culture is, but it's. No one's saying anything aloud because well, read, there was a, a blog post that um, the I think the lady who started I believe it was the Millions uh, Jessa something I feel terrible I don't I'm not remembering exactly what her name is but um, she sort of said you know they started the Millions and she was essentially a publisher like an internet publisher a web publisher but you know it gave birth to a lot of careers and people being able to like you know raise their internet profile or whatever but she yeah. sort of kind of wrote this like takedown of where publishing had gone and, and even the brief like fifth, 10 not brief I mean it's a long time to do it but in the in the time the 10 to 15 years that she had been doing that website and it was it I it, a lot of it uh sort of resonated with me just um I, you know my day job is working for one of the larger publishers right I see I see that all the time um getting larger every day too yeah yeah we just bought, <laughs> we, I think we bought something yeah <laughs> during this during this that? talk i think we acquired several companies um <laughs> but no so like you know all all you know party joking aside like i feel like the smaller independent publishers um as long as they can do it i mean that that's like to me that's almost as excruciating as like making you know making comic art like and it's that's something i feel like i have to do and i will always do but it is you know it's it's a Sisyphean task, you know. It's it's, it's an excruciating, sure. like literally physical. I mean, you. I, I think you said you had even some arm problems while drawing this. Like, oh yeah. I think you know any cartoonist who's been doing this for ten to fifteen years or, or longer. Like, we all have our, our like long list of physical ailments that are connected to sit, sitting in a bad posture at a drawing table for a large yeah. portion of our free time. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I don't even know where I was going with that, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, I can't remember either. Yeah. <laughs> my cameras. Yeah, my. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, working for the man. Yeah. The well, industry. no, I mean, I, I think you know th those public. I I just admire publishers who, um, in the face of just probably losing money or barely breaking even on a lot of the books that, that they do, still do. Like, where would comics be without without like Fanographics and Drawn and Quarterly and Koyama and all, and yeah. and people like them? Yeah, I. I like, especially like Koyama and Secret Acres, where it's just like a couple of people just popping up out of nowhere. It's not like they've got this huge game plan of how they're going to crush the game. Like that, like if I mean, drawing quarterly, getting massive amounts of federal funding probably helps them keep honest. But like, yeah, uh, it's cool that I mean, it's really what that does is it, it kind of makes them exempt from all the usual 
I don't know, indulgence or temptations for, you know, for as long as they want to be or until they get really big, I guess. But like, that's, that's great. And like, I mean, that, that all, I think that kind of throws like a, a little chaos into the game too, where you can get some really, some people who wouldn't otherwise ever be published, like, um, like me, will, will, will end up, you know, suddenly being on the same platform as people that are like Chester Brown or, um, I guess he's a bad example, but I don't know, Rob Liefeld, whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I, I, just the fact that there's someone out there who was willing to publish Chester Brown's, um, you know, defense of why why he has, you know, thinks love is a sham, and uh, <laughs> and he goes to prostitutes, and then like, the, and and then not only published one book like that that yeah, I'm sure did well, but then published the follow up, which is like, and yeah. here's the proof in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I know that. I oh well, I, yeah. Again, Chester Brown, I I I, and I his, loved and, him for decades, but I. Yeah. Well, the new book is actually the new book. I, I've read maybe half of the new one. It, I got it at Cake, and it, it's actually great. Like, um, the art is sort of more of a return to form. Like, I, I yeah. think when I when I sort of looked at paying for it again, like my one of my big issues was actually like I felt like the art was just like it was so sterile and so removed. Sure. Um, that it it just was hard. That made it almost another layer harder to get into. Um, well, that's kind of probably what we were talking about earlier, where he's just dealing with reality too much. And it would have been uncool to have drawn all these people who are sex workers, like, you know, like as recognizable people. Right. On the other hand, it's also a little bit problematic to draw them as like faceless holes. I mean, that, that but, was my biggest that was my biggest issue with the book was making them faceless. I mean, he's a, he's you could take fictional license and just give them a different face, you know, yeah. like, give them some agency. It doesn't have to be like. <laughs> photorealistic like this is tammy from 12th street or whatever like right here's her phone number it's true like right know, there's a middle ground i don't know there's a middle ground yeah but, but anyway I, I, yeah but but i do i mean i always like chester brown's bible story interpretations like his like whole his jesus things in underwater were i mean those were kind of eye-opening to me is like ways that you can interpret stories in and and but still make them your own or like or like because I, I always feel like when I'm reading something that somebody's not, they're not analyzing things hard enough. Like Jesus is a classic example of that. It's like literal sacred cow. Like he's always portrayed as this extremely white, extremely beautiful, like, you know, like Alabama carpenters type. And like, I really like that he drew Jesus as this constantly fucking furious and like unkempt, just a, a wing nut. And um, and then all his followers were just sort of like bumpkins, like people who didn't know what the fuck, which end of the chicken was up, and like that. I I and I thought that was in the '90s. That seemed kind of like really radical, but now it's just like yeah, whatever. But yeah. um, at the time when I was like 20, it was like oh man, he's fucking he's he's wrecking this. Like this is and it, and also still it was clear that he was Christian and that he thought that those stories were important. Yeah, no, um, it's 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 him. I mean. It's him sort of reckoning with that, with those stories, and trying to figure out how they fit into his life. I think, or just how they maybe really happened, and to cut through a little of the dogma of like, you know, and yay, Jesus smiled upon ye, and like all that stuff. Gets, it it kind of takes you out of the story, like after a while, and then so you lose interest in it. But like, I think making reconnecting it to reality in some ways or it's, which i think is kind of an awesome but that is an artist's job you know to like yeah rescue things from meaninglessness right well because um, like 
Um, I actually saw uh, Sammy Harkum interview uh, Chester Brown at, at Cake, and he was, I think Sammy, or I forget which one of them said it actually, but that the you know these Bible stories, you're you're told a lot of actions, but you're never you're never really told like the intention behind them and the the setting yeah. the setting for in which they happen is really vague. So you you have a lot of leeway to like interpret that and make sense of that, and you know find a truth in the story which may not you know be the original truth but it's you're finding some you there's leeway to find some sort of truth in the story maybe right which is the strength of the bible it's so fucking vague that anyone can use it for any purpose and that's let's not fool ourselves that's why it has become what it is well let's hope no one ever uses it for uh evil or anything (laughs) yeah god forbid yeah that should never come to pass or the quran for that matter yeah well luckily you know everyone's too distracted by twitter (laughs) um well so actually that's sort of uh one of one of my my last questions i is i was looking at your work trying to like piece together because i weirdly like when you know monster came out like i was never i never really sort of wondered where your style came from like i was just like oh these are gabby's comics but now you know we having seen your work over the span of like 10 years evolve and uh I, I, I sort of wondered, like, if, if you think about the DNA of your work or, um, you know, I, I feel like I see, like, some Crumb in there and maybe some of Klaus's earlier work. And I, and I think maybe some Chester Brown. But yeah. I, also, I also feel like um, there was, you could see in this work, which maybe you couldn't see in, um, in Monsters as much, is, like, uh, there's some of your, like, you were a political cartoonist at one point, right? There's, I feel like yeah. there's some of that DNA seeping in. Um, I don't even know what you call it, but when you label, like, you have like a little fat, little disgusting slug oh. label, label the KKK or something. <laughs> right. Like, I feel like that's a very political cartoon um, device. I don't even know if it's yeah, good for it, but it is. And I, I actually regret a lot of that. I, really? I just think I was hitting the, my, the limitations of my, uh, my talent. I really, there's something really artless about that, but it, you know, like, I don't, oh, I don't, I mean, I, I just, I think it works well for the book and I, I mean, it's used sparingly, you know, like just there, I think there are a few instances, but I mean, they're hilarious drawings and, they, they're like they're good punchlines for, you know, dark punchlines, but good punchlines for the points in the story there. And I thought they worked yeah. really well. I mean, it, it would be, I mean, it'd be annoying if it was in every panel, but it's I mean, it's maybe right. on two to three pages of the entire book. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's kind of getting back to why I, I think fiction is a better idea too, though, because it, you're creating a a mood, or you're you're really dealing more with like a, an aesthetic, like a how something feels, and that's like you're like making the intangible a little bit more tangible or at least in the way you see things and that's way more effective when you're just right you're showing and not telling and uh i i guess i was trying to not to purposely not do that too much with this book and just get it down as quickly as possible and just be like i'm not trying to do some something like fancy here i'm just trying to directly relate my experience but i don't know maybe that's just maybe that's never possible you know maybe like because i'm still playing the the fiction game like i'm still in the same format that's like when you're you're expecting to there be a little bit something fantastical and fuck when i read stuff i sure don't want to read like some like you know like didactic sort of like endless like explanation as to why things are the way they are like i want like i want to i, I kind of want to see something like it's like it's like you get the ability to fly, but you just use it to like go over to the slaughterhouse to show people why it's so fucked up there. Like maybe you should just enjoy flying, like enjoy flying, fly a little, be in the air and like be wonderful. 
Like you can show people that in, in comments. Are we ending on a hopeful note? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Only if this this is for sale. Yeah, I stopped recording half an hour ago. Just kidding. <laughs> um, no, I mean, well, it's interesting because reading your book, I you know, I mean, I'm currently working on a fictional story, and I was like, yeah. man, maybe maybe fiction is bullshit, um, and maybe like it's not, it doesn't get close enough because you know I. <clears throat> I don't want to talk about my own work that much, but I, I, I've done works where like, I feel like I've tried to have like some subtext that talks about issues I want to talk about, but like yeah. no one ever talks about, no one ever even remotely talks about the subtext I feel like is like, Oh, like this yeah. is like too obvious. Like it's like one reviewer ever has like mentioned it. So I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe it's like it's too subtle. Like I, maybe I just need to really like, if I want to talk about like fracking or like, you know, like deforestation, like I should just make a nonfiction like essay about it. Um, like I thought, uh, you know, Sophie Yano's book, um, the war of street and houses. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I always like, I've reread that book a few times. Cause I, I feel like that's like a really nice short, like essay that it's, you know, it's kind of memoir, but also just kind of like reportage. And it's a really, really good right. mix, a really effective. And it's like, even like the way it's drawn, it's like really minimal. So, I don't know. I just I think that book's really cool. Like, yeah, I, but that's also like more memoir than like she, it's it's easy to have sure. subtext when you're actually going to you know you're in the in the she shit in the or moment, you're like yeah yeah. But I uh, I don't know like I I I, I like Linda Berry writes about that in one of her books about like when she wrote her first book or one of like when she wrote the book that became Cruddy she just used a paintbrush and she was just like writing for fun like just seeing what happened. And then she tried to write another book and it took forever and it never got finished. Cause she was like, I got to think of like exactly all that stuff. Like the subtext, like what, what is the meaning of this? Why does the character do this? And they need to, there needs to be someone who's like against this or why don't she, and like she it just collapsed on itself cause she just overthought it. And yeah, yeah. maybe it's just something, maybe that's impossible. I mean, I think what you, all you can hope for is you get involved, you read all about all this shit or you get involved with something that you care about deeply and then you put all that aside because you know it's going to come through organically from your perspective when you write about things that you are just engaged in the act of writing. And it took me a long time to figure that out and I kind of wish I had figured that out years, decades earlier because then I maybe could have written something good in my life. But I think that's the conclusion like every good writer comes to is that like you can't be didactic, you can't hit people over the head with things you can't like just whip a horse until it gets to the water. The horse will just like turn on you and run away or trample you. You've got to make it think that it's its own idea. And like people were telling me that since high school and I never listened and I had to figure it out for myself. Right. Cause but they, they I, were trying I, to I really beat you over the head with it too much. Maybe. <laughs> What's that? Maybe they were trying to beat you over the head with it too much. Yeah, I guess. Or I was just a stubborn, stubborn mule. Yeah. Or no, just I lazy. Mean, no, I, th I think that's, that's totally true. I mean, and yeah, I mean, it's like any kind of art. Once you're like trying to consciously force something on on people, it's sort of it makes it dicey that it's going to work. Like, it, yeah, you just have to sort of find that magic. But I mean, you know, I would argue that uh, monsters and sick both um, both are, are quite effective in, in what they do. Um, so well, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I mean, we know what you think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I thought it was uh, I thought it was funny. I, this is sort of like wrapping up my my little list of questions I jotted down. Um, there was 
I think you made a blog post a few months ago where you were sort of like workshopping ideas of, of what you might work <laughs> on next. So it sounds like you're sort of in the camp of, of fiction at the moment, or do you, do you I, I hate to like ask someone right after they finished a huge book project that they spent years no, on, yeah. like, like, so what are you working on next, man? Like, right, right. that's cool, that's done. Like, yeah. I hope everyone goes out and buys sick if they made it this far. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they should. Uh, but, uh, like, uh, I don't know, do you, is there any project you're interested in now that you want to talk about, or did that um, workshopping on your yeah. blog, like, lead you to something, or? I don't know, like I said, just what I, all that stuff I just said was what I wasted, the, like, two years, while I was drawing sick, I was also trying to draw this, this fictional story about an island where people have this hideous disease, and, uh, it's sort of like, it, it was kind of based on the leper colony, um, on Molokai, um, and, but except it was, it was going to be a lot more sci-fi body horror stuff. Uh-huh. And I drew all these pages for it, like just labored over it for one of the last couple of years. I lived in New York every day for like a year and just, it just didn't, it just didn't come out. Like it, it just wasn't working. Like, I guess, I don't know. I'm, maybe it's just not in me to, to write fiction. I think really I, I didn't start drawing comics for the reason most people did. Like to, you know, like I wasn't informed by all the golden era stuff where like, it's all escapism, which is good sometimes. I mean, it's fun yeah. as fuck. And, but that also relies a lot more on artistic, like aesthetic sort of skills of like showing like big muscles and like, flight and like action. And um, all, I wa- all I wanted my whole life to use out of comics was just to ex- try to make sense out of my own life. And like, cause I felt like I have a kind of a weird, a weird life. Like I, I'm really, really exceptionally isolated um, to a degree that I, I really haven't, I, I haven't, I haven't been, like it's hard for me to relate to people, and it's hard for me to like feel like I belong on the planet. And I feel like I like I don't deserve to a lot of times. And I think drawing has always been kind of like, a, well, at least here, at least I can do this. And here's why I'm such a fuck up. You know, like at least maybe I can account for myself or justify my existence. And that is a lot less ambitious than I think most people, like Chester Brown or I don't know, like any other cartoonist, um, except my maybe Ivan Bernetti. That, uh, oh, go ahead, sorry. I just, I just want to, I just want to prove that I deserve. I'm a human being. <laughs> then I think that's a lot easier to do as a cartoonist. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I mean, a, I think, I think there are a lot of people in comics who, at least in the world of art or literary comics or whatever the hell we call, uh, like the people who are at Cake, um, I think there are a lot of people in that world who at least can empathize or understand parts of what you're talking about, if not all of it, um, you know, probably parts of it. But, and a lot of them definitely like, like idolize the work you've done and and where you've come from. And I, and I do like, I, I've actually like, this wasn't even in my notes or anything before we talked, but like, and I don't know why it's funny that Chester Brown keeps coming up, but like, I do sort of feel like maybe he did have a sort of similar career to you. Like, you know, he had a, a bit of a head start on you. Um, but like, yeah. Like, I feel like he is someone who probably followed his own muse more than, like, almost any other, like, alternative comics dude from the 80s. Like, he just, like, I mean, you know, I feel like the Hernandez brothers influenced a lot of the direction. Uh, um, Tom Devlin was saying uh, this weekend that, like, uh, a cake, he was saying that Gilbert Hernandez was this guy that, like, sort of opened things up for a lot of people because, you know, Klaus and, and Jaime and several of the other, like, underground or like alternative guys from the eighties felt like they had to do these certain kinds of comics to like oppose superhero comics. And, right. and you know, uh, 
Gilbert was just like, no, you can, I'm just going to do this like magical realism story set in Mexico about this yeah. village, and it's that's what I'm going to do. And right. like that freed a lot of people. But uh, Tom was even saying that like even like Chester just never like wasn't even a part of that conversation really even at that point like he was just like always doing his own shit like um, and I do like I mean I'm just thinking about this now but and I think you you and Chester do have sort of similar le- political leanings maybe in some ways in some ways I don't know maybe not maybe that's not fair no. I don't really know <laughs> I don't know I know he ran for office I don't know his political platform um, yeah. I'm not a libertarian. I should make. I want to make okay. that public and clear that I'm not a libertarian. That's what we'll name this podcast. <laughs> but um, well, I mean, I, I do sort of. I don't know. Like, it, just in terms of uh, sort. I mean, he has a lot of memoirs early on that trying to figure yeah. out his his own self. I think that's true. He is. Yeah, I shouldn't have used him as an example because I guess we. He is kind of the same. <laughs> we're basically the same person, you know. We're no, amazing I mean, person. I, I think that I, is a similar like. Like I don't know, like looking. There, at- there is a, trying to make sense of a fucked up situation that you came from. It, yeah, I mean, like I never liked you. Was definitely that. Um, but I mean, Ed the Happy Clown. I feel like was more. I don't know. Like I feel like it's hard for me to talk about cartoonists in the '90s because we. Everything that I grew up reading was all about that. It was all like that Dan Clouds, like Pusey stuff of like, which seems so like petty and irrelevant now. Of like that struggle to get away from American superhero comics, yeah, and assert yourself as a as, as to be and be taken seriously by adults, and I think that's happened. And so therefore, we don't need Jimmy Corrigan anymore. Like we we can move past that, and that's wonderful. But that also that's scary to me because I'm fucking ancient. So like, I take all my influences from that era. Yeah, and um, but I mean, I don't want I don't want to be that. You still, got, I mean, you're still probably like fifteen years younger than Chester Brown. I'm, I can't even tell how old he is anymore, but yeah, I don't know. He's, he's pretty old. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Thank God. I don't but, know. Yeah. So you were, I mean, I, I, I have to go soon. I want to wrap up soon, but you, I, something I don't actually, you, I know like you had a mini comic in like the nights. Was it called drenched or something or yeah. I've never read it. Um, I know Tom Devlin like has copies of it and didn't he like write you letters that were published yeah. in like, some of the early issues I, or something. He asked me to be in the high, the high water website like a month before he closed it. Um, and that was around the same time that uh, Gavin McGinnis, of, when he was still doing Voice magazine instead of Vice magazine, he, I was a regular in that comics page with like Mark Bell and stuff. I don't know what these guys saw in me. I think it was sort of like this, like he's from fucking Hawaii. Like that doesn't make any sense. Um, because I remember Tom saying, don't ever leave Hawaii. You're making a huge mistake. And so did Gavin McGinnis. Um, we were also pen pals back when he was doing pervert, that pervert comic. Wow. Um, is it he's and, like is he's he's like the millionaire owner of Vice now, right? I mean Yeah. Uh yeah, and so I have not received any faxes from him <laughs> of late. But like Let's just write him a letter. Be like, hey man, yeah, just get him, bro. what are you up to? I haven't had the internet for a few years. Um I I got fucked up because he kept at some point he was like, We need a comic for this month's voice and I was like, Yeah, I'd like to, but I'm, i kinda got this cafe job now, I'm a little busy. <laughs> I, and and like that he was just like, Fuck this guy, I can find ten other cartoons. Um so yeah, well, story of my life. Well, um, yeah, but I mean, and I think admirably, in in spite of that, you know, you you have just you found a way to do like to do, you, in spite of your wildly anti-capitalist uh, in, instincts, um, which you know that I think that would have changed your work, uh, or maybe or maybe not. I don't know. But um, I, just didn't, I didn't understand. Like, I guess I probably would have been susceptible, or like I would have been, I would have been like, yeah, let's totally do it. I just didn't. I didn't. I was so 
ignorant that it's like when you're from Hawaii in the 90s before the internet you just have no idea like I was even writing with Adrian Tamine and like all these people Dave Cooper where I was just like I love their comics but I didn't really get how important they were or were gonna be like at the time because I had no context for that like I couldn't go to like the fanographics offices or like I didn't there weren't really any comic book stores in Hawaii yeah and like there wasn't this culture there weren't cons or anything you know it was like it was the same way I didn't understand that the Grateful Dead were a thing like I heard about dead shows but I was like uh whatever and then like I then but that was like a huge deal on the mainland to somebody but yeah. I so I kind of feel like I fucked up like I I, I was just so it's in such a cultural backwater or just so removed from from the continental U.S. that I I treated these people like they were just other cartoonists who were just doing what I was doing, which was basically amusing myself. And I had no idea there was this whole industry or like this, you know, like, it, I guess I didn't realize that people like Gary Roth were real people that could be approached for a comic book deal. Like that never entered my mind that I could be like, oh, I could make a, li I mean, it was the 90s too, so who, no one would talk about making a living off of comics. But uh, I don't know, things have changed a lot, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, it, and I think, I think it's for the, the better. I mean, I, I you know I didn't, yeah I I I I entered comics in a sort of similar vacuum, and when I got to New York, I was just like, sort of astounded that the first time I went to Mocha and there was an entire building filled with people who liked weird comics, I was it was it's sort of astounding, and to, and yeah. you know of course then at first you think it's like much huger than it is, like oh my god there are people like right. look at Kramer's Ergo Ergo Four like. Um, and blankets. These guys are are making a living off comics, which right. you know we know, we know now is not necessarily true. Um, right. But yeah, um, no, that's interesting. I mean, it's an interesting thing. I well, and and I think you you have there is. I think you know that generation still speaks highly of you, like that that I've talked to. I mean, you know, and I, I think I, I think every, well because you're still doing good work. Like sick is very good. Monsters is very good. <laughs> like, well, uh, yeah, but. but oh. They yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, it's it's, and I think I, I do I don't know it, again. I just this is not a premeditated thought, but I do sort of see a similar maybe tra trajectory to you and Chester Brown. I mean, Chester just had he was in Toronto <laughs> and he had some dude, I forget whoever the guy who ran Vortex was was like, hey, I'm, I'll pay you to do a monthly comic, and that was Yummy Fur, and he did what like thirty issues of Yummy Fur or something. Yeah. Um. Before that, like apparently he went out of business and. Uh, stop paying him um <laughs> well that, i mean for every chester brown or every Jaime Hernandez, there's just thousands of people who you know never got it together and some of them were just as talented but oh yeah i mean it's a, had, there's a lot of luck there's a ton of luck involved yeah. in all of it but i mean there is you know i think yeah i don't know it's a lot of luck or the people that realized that cartooning wasn't the most lucrative way to like, I feel like a lot of cartoonists are sort of frustrated or insecure film directors where they they want to to express something, but they don't... Cartooning really is the simplest way to do it. Like, even writing is kind of like... You really got to... That's already an established industry that you... you there's a, there's rules for how you go about getting published and, and famous. But with cartooning, it was... I guess it, for, for the first... For, like, the recent, in recent history, it was kind of like anyone would could get an audience if they just, you know, Xerox something and put it together. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, and that's still sort of the way it is now because, you know, yeah. any, any talent in comics, if you're doing anything interesting, it, it's sort of immediately self-evident. Like you can just, like if you pick up somebody's self-published prose novel and flip through it, 
you're like, oh, isn't that special? Right. And so, like, a novelist needs a, a publisher of it's of some level to to add like that level of legitimacy. Like, okay, some some publisher thought this was worth publishing, um, yeah. and you know, probably at this point you need like a marketing team. Uh, but like for comics, you can just there are people who can just put something online and people will be like, oh, this person is like has legit chops. Um, right. Or is drawing something that I is relevant to my interests. Yeah. So, I think, it, but at the same time, it's all, it, while in that sense, it may be the easiest way to get attention for doing work like that, because it's, it's essentially free other than time. It's also the most, yeah. it, because of the time aspect, it's the most absurd way to try and go about that. Um, it, yeah. But yeah, that's why we, I don't know, that's why we do it. Yeah. I, I, uh, Maybe. I guess. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird scene. <laughs> All right. Well, I should probably actually um, try and wrap this up now, so uh, we don't destroy Robin's bandwidth. Um, is there anything <laughs> you want to say? Do you want to make fun of Robin McConnell at all? <laughs> no, nothing but love to okay. all comics people. All right. And I really, I appreciate you thinking of me when uh, for an interview. Yeah. yeah. I it's it's hard to tell sometimes. Like I feel like I I I hear nice words from people, but I, I I'm still. I'm still living like, you know, a paycheck away from complete obliteration. So it's nice to, it's nice to know. I don't know. It's, I get some perspective on it, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, I thought the, I thought the book was incredible. um, And I really liked it. And uh, yeah. Uh, And you're going to be at SPX in the fall, I think, right? With sick. Uh, Yeah, hopefully. Are there any other things that people can go and try and convince you that. (laughs) (laughs) How great I am. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, I, I think I'm just going to be working my job, uh, until then. So I'll probably be at SBX. I got a website that I update sometimes. That's about it. Gabby's playhouse.com or something. Yeah. yeah. Something close to yeah. Gabby's playhouse. Yeah. That's a great yeah. blog. Um, I still think you should start a Patreon at some point, but that, I don't know. We'll oh talk, man. We'll yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Can't, I, we can't open that I, kind I, of worms right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, anyway, well, thank you very much for talking, and yeah, I hope people go and check out Sick and also the new re-release of Monsters, which looks quite good. Um, and thank you, Gabby. Yeah, thanks, Sean. The day that the pirate ship first appears, terror in the town. We. Of understanding me